We are so glad that you guys are here today. We are uh, going through a series. For those of you who are new here, what we're doing here at Heights is we're going through the Bible in five years period of time, and we're actually on year five right now. So at the end of this year, those of you who have been here five years, we will have gone through every verse of scripture together. That's really cool, don't you think? And so we find ourselves this week, we have been in First and Second Thessalonians. And so that's where we're going to spend a bulk of our time today. And today is all about this idea of destiny. How many of you like movies? Raise your hand. Television shows. How many of you are novel readers? You love reading novels, Right? What attracts us to a good story? It's usually something along the lines of, you know, an adventure, a quest, or something like that. I'm kind of an adventure person myself, right? Uh, Could be a great romance, right? Sometimes adventures have romances in them. Sometimes romances are are of their own, okay? And sometimes it it could be this... this, defeat of evil, right? That there's this evil power and it must be defeated. And my wife loves Lord of the Rings. And so, I mean, if she's sick, she doesn't feel good, wants to go to sleep, nothing like cutting off orcs heads that makes her go to sleep. I mean, seriously, it's like, this is so peaceful. So pray for me. Okay. So, um, there's something about that. And as a matter of fact, we love good movies. A good, well-constructed story that brings us to the end of that is pretty awesome. Uh, I do remember my, my family, we are big Marvel aficionados, haven't liked Phase 4, just all the wokeness and stuff that's in it. But in general, they've been pretty decent movies overall. And one of the things my wife hated about the, one of the first movies was Captain America. So we watched Captain America. You have this great story that's going on. She's enjoying the whole thing. And then at the end, I got to put her in the ocean. And we got done with the movie. And she was like, well, that was stupid. Why? Because you know, there was this great romance that was supposed to be happening between Steve and Peggy. And then he wakes up 70 years later. And there's this kind of air of sadness as it sets up for Avengers. Uh, and it kind of got a little bit redeemed at the very end of this whole 21 movie set at the end of Endgame. If you haven't seen Endgame, I'm sorry. It's been a couple years. I'm spoiling it for you. So, but at the very end, he gets to go back in time and he kind of gets to redeem that ending. So that ending isn't so bad anymore in Captain America because you know what happens there. How many of you Star Wars fans? Raise your hand. Look at all the Star Wars fans. There's a reason why George Lucas did 4, 5, and 6 before 1, 2, and 3. Because if you ended on 3 for 20 years, it would be depressing, Right? Darth Vader, you know, all the Jedi are destroyed, everything's gone. The reason 4, 5, and 6 happens is you get to see the end of it and what happens there. And then you go back and do 1, 2, 3 where you see this darkness that comes down and you can take it. You know why? Because you know what happens at the end. It gets redeemed, right? Because there's a destiny involved with that. Destined to overthrow this evil. Destined to win the girl. Destined for all of those things. And we, as we've read First and Second Thessalonians, we find ourselves that we too are destined for certain things. 
And that's what we're going to look at today. But I want to give a little bit of background concerning how Paul gets there. Because First and Second Thessalonians are written fairly quickly after the events take place historically in Acts. So let's take a look in Acts to get some historical reference for what happens with Paul. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 17. And when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. And they're all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left him with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So this is the historical account that Luke puts down in Acts chapter 17 of what happens in Thessalonica and in Berea, which we see are kind of related because he goes to Berea and all the Jews from Thessalonica, like he's preaching there too, let's go get him. And they chase him out from there. And it brings Paul all the way down to Athens. And we find that this is actually referenced in 1 Thessalonians that we read this week. So if you will, turn uh, where we're going to spend, camp out in our Thessalonians uh, area. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. And he talks about, up until this point, he talks about what brought them there, how they preached the word of God, and how they were taken away from them. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. I, certainly, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, 
And we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And so what we see here is that we're reading that other half of that account, right? Paul gets dropped off in Athens and he says, I'm sending you back. I want to make sure that everything is okay with all the people who have been persecuted for the sake of Christ in the very early going of their faith. And so he sends back uh, Timothy, and Timothy comes back with a good report we read later on, and he's encouraged by that. But it's important to understand the historical background. This is written very closely after those events because he's in Athens. And he's writing this down, and he's sending it back, and he's letting them know, we care about you, and Timothy has just gotten back from that, giving this report, and this is where this letter comes from. So, through these things, he wants to encourage them that they, as a Thessalonian people who now believe in Jesus Christ, are destined for certain things. That's really kind of the theme that we read throughout. It's one of the things that I went through these uh, books a few times while I was doing my study. And while I was doing that, the word destiny and destined kept seeming to pop up and come out in this place, at least in theme, if not exactly in word as well. And so what things... Would Paul say the believers in Jesus Christ in Thessalonica, and by extension, us, are destined for? Well, the first one, I think, is this. Persecution. It's not one we want to say we're destined for, right? (laughs) But persecution. And I want to define persecution saying that it's something that it isn't. Or don't claim that certain things are when it really is. And I want to define persecution two ways. I want to call one maybe a soft persecution over here and a hard persecution over here. And I think most of the time when we think of persecution, we think of this hard persecution category. But soft persecution over here, this is the ridicule, the insults, the cutting off of relationships of friends and family. For the purpose of shutting you down and shutting you up concerning your faith in Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, that's persecution. The Bible defines it as such. So somebody's making fun of you online, posting types of themes and calling you ridiculous and stupid. Please understand, that's persecution. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to convince you not to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to hear about it. If you're going to talk about Jesus all the time, I want nothing to do with you. Well, that's a persecution. So, if I, so to get around my friends, to get around my family, to get around my other people who I'm trying to care for... Me mentioning Jesus brings this bridge between us. Being online and and trying to state an argument for Jesus Christ and being hit with a meme that doesn't stand for your position whatsoever, but as a caricature of your faith for the purpose of tearing you down and shutting you up, saying this is what you believe, is persecution. But it's a soft form of persecution. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, we unfortunately as Christians overlook this and don't treat it as persecution. We sometimes say, no, it's not this hard persecution over here, therefore we don't know what it's like to be persecuted. No, that's not what the scriptures say. 
We talk about being insulted for Christ. If you are insulted for Christ, you are blessed, it says in 1 Peter. Well, how are you blessed? If it's just an insult, if it's not really persecution, there'd be no blessing behind it. But it is real persecution. And we need to recognize that's what it is. It's a soft form. But please understand, the whole reason behind that persecution is to shut you up. To insult you, to make you feel stupid, to feel dumb, to let you feel like your relationship with whatever person it might be, a friend, a family member, a close family member, an acquaintance, somebody you've just gotten to know. If you continue to do this, I don't want anything to do with you. It's a form of persecution for the sake of shutting you up about Jesus. The second one we're a lot more familiar with, the whole idea of hard persecution. I don't think anybody thinks there isn't persecution like that. But this would be something harder. This would be your loss of income, your loss of job because of, uh, because of your faith. This would be beatings because of your faith. This would be imprisonment because of your faith. This would be death because of your faith. This would be hard situations in which even gathering together in a place like this would not be allowed. So you have to do it in secret because if you are caught, guess what? Bad things are going to happen. It's a hard form of persecution. But the goal is the exact same. To shut you up about Jesus. To not let the name of Jesus be known to the greater public or people. Then they know they can't shut you up in the soft way. So they move toward this hard persecution. And it's important that we define as such. Because believe it or not. Though in America we haven't had a lot of the whole idea of hard persecution. And maybe we see it coming on the horizon. The soft persecution. It's been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul says we're destined for. That's what he told the Thessalonian believers. Let's take a look. First Thessalonians chapter 3, basically continuing where we were, starting in verse 1 again. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith, and I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. Notice what he said. He said, I warned you when I was there, persecution is going to happen. And it happened exactly as I said it would. Wasn't hoping that it would happen to them. He was just preparing them. We're going to be persecuted for our faith. And here's my worry. My worry is that this persecution will result in you no longer believing in Christ. Because guess what? Just like Jesus talked about in the parable of the seeds, where the seed falls on the shallow soil, that shallow soil has a, doesn't have a root. Why? Because when persecution comes, they fall away from faith. This is what he's worried about with the Thessalonians. When we could stand it no longer, we went to find out about your faith, lest the tempter would have taken that away from you. But Timothy comes back with a good report, and he's so encouraged by it. And yet, at the same time, he's warning the Thessalonian believers, and by extension, warning you and me. That as believers in Christ, 
we're going to be persecuted. Jesus says it all throughout his ministry. Paul says it throughout his ministry. Peter, just go to everybody. Nobody denies that's happening. Nobody likes to hear that, though, right? We like the other destined parts, the happy destined parts. And we're going to get to happy destined parts. But the first one is we're destined to be persecuted. We have to keep our eyes open. That's what it means to follow Jesus. People are going to think you're ridiculous for believing in Christ. That's just the way that it is. And yet, you and I are called to advance the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really appreciated Sean's um, devotion today during our communion time. You know what? Because I agree with him. Let's get to it. It's the next thing. It's what we're looking next to. It's communicating the gospel. That's what he's telling them to do. You do this, you're going to get persecution. Acts chapter 9. See, this isn't something that Paul was just talking to the Thessalonian believers about. It was something he was warned about at his conversion. So in Acts chapter 9, Ananias is worried about going to Paul because Paul is, <laughs> he's been the persecutor, right? He's been the persecutor. He's been the one who you know, was at the, uh, at the stoning of Stephen, guarding the coats, And so Ananias is nervous concerning God's command to go, go to him, share the gospel to him, baptize him, commission him for his work. Lord, Lord, do you know what this man does? Don't ever tell God, seriously, do you know? Really? And yet we do that. God, do you know what I'm going through right now? <laughs> no, that one caught me by surprise. You're never going to hear God say that. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. What? Persecution. Why? Calling on your name. Repressing the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's not something we want to hear, is it? It's not just that he's commissioned him. He says, I'm going to show him. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 20, as he's saying his goodbye to the Ephesian elders... And we look and starting in verse 20, it says this. Paul is talking about, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I have declared to both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Do you guys notice the theme? It's I'm getting the gospel out and persecution is coming. 
I'm getting the gospel out and persecution is coming. Every place he's going, I want to get the gospel out. I want to share the gospel. Ananias, I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer. And guess what Paul says? Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit is telling me I'm going to have imprisonment and trials and all of these persecutions that are going to happen to me. But I don't care because I'm delivering the gospel to a world that needs. But persecution is a part of it. And it's not just their persecution, it's our persecution. Because we talk about what happens at the end of time, and Paul spends a little bit of time talking about what happens at the end. So this affects us, right? I mean, whether we're at the end times, or we're in the end times, or whether end times happens during our lifetime or our children's lifetime, God knows that. But we're heading in that direction. And Paul's talked about that. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And so we have the lawless one who's going to come up. And as we read in Revelation and and, in other places in the scripture, guess what that means for God's people? Persecution. Because we won't bow down and worship him. Not the Antichrist, not the false prophet, not the beast. Not going to worship him. And so what's going to happen to you and me as believers in Christ for not worshiping what the world is worshiping? persecution because we're proclaiming a different gospel right we're proclaiming the gospel the good news of jesus christ they don't want that so they're going to persecute us to have us be quiet so that they can have their false gospel proclaimed to the world guys seem like that that's happening today maybe just a little bit Maybe around us, there's a false gospel that everybody else is holding on to that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you and I start speaking out according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't there a fearfulness on how people are going to react to us? Worried about putting that post online on social media? Worried about talking to our neighbors about Jesus? I mean, we've become much more closed society in the 20 years that I've been pastor here. When I first got here, going out and talking to all my neighbors, no problem whatsoever. Now, a little bit of reservation, just to be honest with you. What, what are they like? How are they going to accept me? What if I tell them I'm a pastor? Does that mean I'm blacklisted? They're only going to come to me when they want prayer? Or are they going to actually stay away from me and actually not want anything to do with me and warn other people not to go there? It's kind of a strange situation we find ourselves in, right? That persecution, but we're destined for it. And so just as Paul is doing, 
for the Thessalonian believers, I think we have to be as well. We have to be prepared. I told you this was going to happen. So nobody here can say, hey, nobody told me. I, I went and shared Jesus, and people were mad at me. You can't say I didn't warn you. My family didn't like me. My, my friends wanted me to shut up. Can't say I didn't warn you. It's all in the word of God. It's what we're destined for. And whether Jesus or Paul or Peter or John, doesn't matter who you're looking at, they all say the same thing. We're destined for it. Prepare for it. But the interesting thing about persecution is that it accentuates other things that God has called for us to be destined for as well. And the next thing that I want to point out that we're destined for is that we're destined for community. The idea of us being together in this place, this place, this room that we're in, we call it what? A sanctuary, a safe place. Why in the world do we call it a sanctuary? Isn't that a weird name? It's a sanctuary. You know why? Because we are in a place where it is safe to be with like-minded individuals seeking out who Jesus is, what he has done for us. And whether we are seekers who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, or we are believers, it's nice to be among the same people in the same room, isn't it? It's like, I can be myself. Because I guarantee you, there are some of you like, I can't be myself at work. I mean, I want to be myself at work, but man, if I said what I really thought, I mean, it's so hard. And there's this constant tension between the world and you and all that has happened. And you know what? A place of refuge is on Sunday mornings when I can be in a sanctuary of people that share at least the commonality of the seeking out of the same belief in Jesus Christ. I can be like, oh, it's so nice. And for some of you, Sunday is just a welcome, a, a welcome reprieve from the pressures of work and having to hide this or feeling like you have to hide this or feeling the constant battering if you're sharing your faith and you're feeling that. I just want to come someplace where I'm not going to be battered, please, and encouraged to walk in my faith. It's why it's a sanctuary. It's why we come to this place together. It's why it's so important. It's why what's happened over the last couple of years concerning community in Christ has been such a terrible detriment to our faith because it has shattered our community for the sake of what the world standards of community ought to be. As a matter of fact, I think that that's part of the things that we've been dealing with. You know, in the United States, we have a false sense of community that comes from being a United States citizen. I think it's the greatest country in the world. I think that God has has me born here for the purpose that I might know him and reach for him and find him, and I'm glad that I found him here. But I want to make very clear that the United States, while it is my earthly residence in the earthly country which I find in and truly believe it's the greatest country in the world, it is not a replacement for the people of God and the community that we have together. And I think sometimes we get that conflated. Where we will create community with our neighbors and our neighboring people that are stronger bonds than that within the community of faith. 
And that's not biblical. It's not right. And it doesn't serve us well when persecution comes. When hard times come and people who do not have faith will easily tell you and I, we should just drop it. It'll be so much easier for us. Whereas we in belief in Jesus Christ, realizing that this is the reality. We need one another during those times. Brothers and sisters that are living in much harsher circumstances than us, the community of Christ is a lifeline they cannot live without. It's such a shame that here in America, many choose not to live with. I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, but you know what? We're destined for community. You find yourself as a believer in Christ saying, I get along with non-believers better than believers. And you might want to think about what destination you might feel more comfortable in, heaven or hell. And I don't say that to be funny. I say that as a wake-up call. That broken community, that's the church. This is the eternal destination. This is the community we're going to be around forever. If we are more comfortable around non-believers than our believing brothers and sisters, there's something wrong because that's not what Jesus wanted. That's not what Paul points to. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. First of all, I want you guys to understand. He says brothers in this, this is believer to believer interaction. One another passages in the scripture, in the New Testament, every one of them, believer to believer interaction. And what does he commend them for? Does he commend them for loving the world? Loving all those people who don't know Jesus yet? No, he's commending them for loving one another. That through this trial, through your persecution, through the things that are happening, you have grown into community and you are loving one another more. This is a sanctuary, a place where you can come and be and grow and support one another. All the things we do, the love God, the love God's people, the love serving God, when we say we do it in increasing measure in this place, It's because we are called first to do it to the believer before we do it to the non-believer. Woe to us if we got that backwards. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have non-believing people who are reaching out to. Absolutely we should. But I've always said, you know, it's an indictment on the church if we want to help the single mom outside the church before we want to help the single mom inside the church. We want to help the elderly outside the church before we're helping the elderly inside the church. We want to visit the nursing home of all the unbelieving people so we can share Christ with them and ignore the believer who might be in that same nursing home. Shame on us. Because one another, we're supposed to be growing in brotherly love. And that only happens in community, a community we are destined for. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul starts it out this way, verses 3 and 4. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. 
Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. I want you guys to think about this for just a moment. They are a testimony to other churches in the area. Everybody in all of Macedonia understands what's happening with them and the persecutions that are happening. And guess what? Their love is growing more and more. And they are a testimony. Notice where they're a testimony. Through their love for one another in community. They're already sharing the gospel. That's where the persecution's coming in. But their love for one another is what's giving them the testimony. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, when he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. Look at all the things that are excluded from that. God knows how much you gave to the poor. Well, that's great, but that's not the defining characteristic of how all men will know that we're his disciples. The characteristic of us being known to be the disciples of Jesus Christ is that we love each other. And it's one of the things I really love about this church, honestly. I can tell you there are people in this church, I won't name them by name, but I could, um, who have come back to the church and said, there's not been another church like this. We went someplace else, we've come back, and there's not been another church like this where people genuinely care for one another. And it's seen as we have camaraderie during our service and after our service where we hang out and we, we talk and we share with one another. It's like we're getting together with old friends and we're looking for new ones. It's pretty awesome, honestly. I love that about our church. I, I think one of our strengths is community. But we also have to be reminded because we can be fooled by the evil one that says, hey. But if you reached out all the more to the community around us, and don't get me wrong, we should. But if we reach out all the more, make that our focus at the expense of this. We actually lose the very witness we want to have. Because Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So we're destined for community. Not just here, but in eternity, right? We get to be around each other here, and we get to be around each other forever in eternity. That's why I said earlier, you know, if you get along with your unbelieving friends more than your believing friends, these are the people you're going to be hanging around with for all eternity. We need practice, okay? We do. We need practice. All of us do. And that leads us to the third one. We are destined for heaven. We are destined for eternity with God. I think that's pretty awesome, right? Jesus died on the cross for your sin, for my sin. We are destined to be with him forever. This is something that Paul was trying to encourage the Thessalonian believers because of the fact that they were worried about the persecutions that were happening. And we're going to continue to happen. Remember that whole man of lawlessness? He's coming. It's really going to happen. It's really going to be a bad time for Christians. But it continues on. We've read through verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians 2. Starting in verse 5, Paul says this. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back. The revelation of who this man of lawlessness is. 
so that he may be revealed in the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. See, one of the things that that Paul is encouraging him with, it's going to be bad, but that's not the end. It's going to be bad, but when Jesus comes back, he's already a defeated enemy. He just doesn't know it yet. It's going to be bad, but when you get to the other side, the bad stuff is going to pale in comparison in the light of eternity where there will be no more death or crying or suffering because the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new, and we will be with the Lord forever. Isn't that awesome? That's what we have to look forward to. And yet at the same time, those Thessalonian believers had already been through so much. Maybe even some of them being persecuted to death. Because we read in 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, where we're at, the book we're studying, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, very familiar verses, but I'm going to extend from those familiar verses on into chapter 5. Starting in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. See, one of the things that we see that Paul is talking about is he says, first of all, Jesus has conquered death. So those who are asleep in Christ will have eternity to be with Christ. So encourage each other with that. But the other thing that you'll see, and it doesn't matter whether we're looking at Thessalonians or whether we're looking at Philippians or Colossians or Ephesians, look at the Pauline letters as a whole. One of the things that you see is that the motivation for us living for Jesus in this world is looking forward to being with him in the next. 
This is what he's doing there. Say, you want to live for Jesus? I'm reminding you, this isn't the end. Therefore, don't be like the rest of the world who sleep during the day, who get get sleep during the night and get drunk during the night. You guys stay awake. And they're talking about keeping those spiritual eyes open and living for them. Live self-controlled lives. And whether he's talking about that or living in sensuality or what else, what we hear is, as in Philippians, he says, let us live up to what we've already attained. We already have it. He's already given us this. And what do we need to do as a result of that? How, what is our motivation? We keep our eyes on things above, not things below. Because heaven and earth, the earth are passing away, but Christ's words will never pass away. So if I'm following him, I'm following that which is truly going to last. And my motivation isn't, you know, so I'll make it into heaven. Let us live up to what we've already attained. Jesus already paid the price for all who believe. We move from death to life, but our motivation for living for him is because we're going to be with him forever. And so you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, you want to know what it means to, to live for Jesus? Start thinking about heaven all the more. How many of us spend our days thinking about eternity Because I think the world right now has done a very good job distracting us. We're destined for eternity. We're destined to be with God forever in heaven. We're destined for that. I remember when we went to Disney World, we bought all the books to go to Disney World. How many of you have been to Disney World and bought books? Or go for a trip and you're like, I I want to buy a book. You know, I've also bought other travel books to other places that we may never go to. But I've, I bought these books, right, so that I can kind of scope out the terror. I'm excited. I want to get there. I want to I involve myself in every aspect of wherever it is. Shannon wants to go see castles someday. I told her we could burn ours down and it could become one. No, I'm just kidding. So... My, my wife loves castles. She would love to go see castles, right? Love to go see Ireland. Love to go on a, uh, an Alaskan cruise. And if we took out a wish list, we could write down all these things we'd really wish to see. And why do we want to see them? Maybe because we saw a documentary on it or, or an advertisement for it. We saw pictures for it. We saw the little, you know, advertisement for these cruise ships. Like, that would be so awesome. So let's watch this 17 times. Let's get a book and and look at every aspect of it because when we get there, if we ever get there and we save up the money to go to to someplace like that, then I can immerse myself in all of that. And it's really fun. We did that with Disney World with our kids. They immersed themselves. They bought the books. They were looking through all the books, everything. So when they got there, like, this is so awesome. They had the hidden Mickeys. I got hidden Mickeys. I could go look at the hidden Mickeys everywhere. They were so excited. Because they were finally at their destination that they had read about and looked at. Guys, we got to think about heaven a whole lot more than we do. Because Paul and the apostles, for everybody, it's the motivating factor to live for Jesus on this earth. Is to recognize this isn't the end. I want to live forever with Christ who's bought a place for me. He's built a place for me, according to John chapter 14. Right? I've prepared a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. In my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go there to prepare a place for you. Dude, I want to find out about that place. But the less time I spend thinking about that place, 
the less time I live in preparation to be in that place. used to have a playlist. I want to get back to it because I I haven't done it in a long time. Um, But I used to have a playlist when I was going to college to be pastor, you know. And that playlist was just focused on heaven. Every song on that playlist is a tape that I put together. And and every song was from either a a CD I had. I had my little Sony Walkman, right, walking around. Would be listening to it while I'm doing my janitor duties, you know, at a local uh, elementary school there. But I specifically had just one whole tape, you know, about 60, 90 minutes long that was full of songs that would help me focus on heaven. Focus on what heaven was going to be like. I remember walking up and down my my grandmother's um, driveway when I came to know Jesus just thinking about what heaven would be like. I remember in my early walk with Jesus, sitting down and talking to friends of ours, just imagining what singing songs in heaven was going to be like. Like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to blow our mind, the playlist that we have in heaven. Imagine that, that they're playing this awesome hymn at one point, you know, this this solemn, awesome hymn, and then going to a head-banging thrasher metal song that worships God, right? Can you prove me that that's not going to happen? That's going to be Awesome. I have to admit, I don't think about that as much anymore. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. I'm closer to him now, at least closer to being with him now, than I was 30 years ago, right? But I don't do that, and I think it affects the way that we witness. It's the, it, it affects the way that we share the gospel with other people, recognizing we're going to be persecuted, you know, and forgetting about community and how we encourage others to be able to do the same thing and get ready for that next step. I really love what, I'm like, didn't even talk to Sean about this today. I'm like, that could not have been a better message for today. Because that's it. It's the next step. But you know what? In order for us to, next, take, to take the blip, 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 In order for us to take that next step, right, you and I have to be dreaming about what it's going to be like when we're there and see it as awesome. We never convince somebody that someplace is awesome to go to. You talk to us about Disney World, everybody's like, yeah, that place is awesome. This is my favorite ride. This is where I want to do. Talk about the favorite places that you have visited or gone to. Like, we go over here and this is awesome. Can we say the same thing about what heaven's going to be like? We better Because Paul says that's the motivating factor for every one of us remaining faithful in Christ living here on this earth. We are destined for things as believers. That destiny plays itself out like a movie. And to get to that glorious end that Jesus has already promised is going to happen... We need to rely upon the promises that these things that he's promised are going to happen. We're going to walk through it. But the end, so worth it. So worth it. That's what he's talking to the Thessalonian believers. That's, that's what we're reminded of today as things become more challenging in the world around us. But you know what? I'm glad things are getting challenging. It forces us to make decisions It forces us to say, this is worth this price. And the only thing that's going to make it worth this price for you and me is we better be dreaming about heaven a lot. 
We're destined for persecution. We're destined for community. We're destined for heaven and eternity with Jesus Christ forever together. Let's take as many people with us as we can. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for the encouragement of the destiny that we have before us. We ask you, oh Lord, for a spirit of boldness right now. Because we know that if we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have promised in your word repeatedly over and over and over again, persecution is coming. And whether that persecution is soft or hard, it's coming. Help us to be faithful, O God. Help us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth whatever we go through. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us to press into our community all the more to love one another better, to encourage one another as we walk out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to come into this place on a Sunday morning and recognize that this is a sanctuary, that our life groups are a sanctuary, that our time together with other believers in this place and other places, it's a sanctuary for us. For us to encourage one another, to correct one another as we need to, so that we can boldly walk out of this place and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and keep our minds on things above. And God, I pray to you, Heavenly Father, because you have destined us to be together forever with you in heaven, help us dream about heaven more. Help us look to your word. Help us remember, dear Heavenly Father, that we're looking forward to a place of no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. The old order of things has passed away. You, because of Jesus Christ and your death on the cross, have made all things new. And all who believe in you get to share in this eternity. Oh, it's so glorious. We have eternity to look forward to together. God, help us to reach out to a lost and dying world that they may share in this eternity that you have purchased for them as well. Let us do it out of motivation of love. Let us encourage each other and build one another up and to live for you boldly while we're in this place. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.